Good morning and welcome again. We're so grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together and we hope and pray that our worship service today will be beneficial to you as we seek to worship God in spirit and truth. I want to begin very quickly by saying thank you to Jared for two great lessons last week. I appreciate Jared and all the good work that he does. And it's a privilege for me to work with him on a regular basis. And I'm so grateful for all the good that he does, not just in this congregation, but really wherever he goes. And so we are thankful for Jared and his family and for what they mean to the church here at Olive Branch. We're going to be today talking about God's redemptive plan. And as we think about the redemptive plan of Almighty God, I want to just begin our study today by talking for a minute or two about the Bible. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they know something about the Bible, but they don't necessarily understand the tremendous power that's found in this book and the blessings associated with it. And so today in our study, we're going to be talking about God's redemptive plan. And so I hope that you will maybe take some time to consider the lesson, let it soak in, maybe follow up throughout the week as we look at several passages of Scripture. I do want to say before we begin, though, we're going to be turning the page to a new year in just a couple of three weeks. Hard to believe 2022 will be here. I had mentioned before that we're going to be looking at some of the key characters in Scripture in the next year. Jared and I, we've sat down, we've looked at a number of characters, we'll be publishing that very soon, and we hope that you will, we hope that you will study with us in the next year as we look at some of the great characters of both the Old and New Testaments. All right, let's talk about God's redemptive plan. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer asks this question, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. If you and I wanted to sum up the Scripture, we might simply say it's all about redemption. It's about salvation. So when you look at the Bible to understand that the new covenant, the law of Christ under which we now live, this covenant has been soaked in the blood of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, You remember Jesus partook of the Passover feast with His disciples. And in that context, He said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So when you pick up this book and you start reading the New Testament, you need to understand that the new covenant is soaked in the blood of Christ. That ought to cause us to appreciate the Bible and the redemptive plan of Almighty God because God had all of us in mind when He planned His scheme of redemption. So let's just talk about this redemptive plan of God. Now there's some things that I want to call attention to in our study. First, I want to talk about the primitive cause of salvation. When we say the primitive cause of salvation, what we're really emphasizing is the source or the architect, if you please, 
of the redemptive plan that we read about in Scripture. That would be God the Father. There are numerous passages of Scripture that speak to us of God laying out a plan of redemption for the human family. Now, behind this plan, we need to appreciate the tremendous love and mercy of Almighty God. God would never have devised a plan to redeem the human family had it not been for love and grace and mercy. You remember, for example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John said, speaking of the character of God, God is love. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, and He said, By grace are you saved. So what about God as the primitive cause of salvation? Let me direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul in the first three chapters discusses our relationship to Christ, to the Lord. In verse 3, he points out that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 4, he said, Just as He chose us in Him, listen to him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. So, here the Apostle Paul speaks of this redemptive plan that God formulated before time began. As a matter of fact, you remember in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, listen to this, promised before time began. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. John in the Revelation talks about the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talking about Christ and God's redemptive plan said He was foreordained before the world began, but manifest in these last times for us. So God the Father, before He ever created the world or man, had a plan in place to redeem us from sin. It says something about the omniscience of God, the fact that He is all-knowing. God created man, endowing him with the ability to make choices. God didn't make us as robots. We have been made in the image and the likeness of God, according to Moses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And because we have been made in the image and the likeness of God, there's a part of us that will live forever. But God has given us the ability to make choices in this life. And so God, endowing man with the ability to make choices, recognized that man, given the ability to make decisions on a daily basis, would at some point in time transgress His law and thereby stand in need of a Redeemer. So when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, what do we read about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Immediately God began unveiling this redemptive plan. The Bible tells us that we have been saved. Matter of fact, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 said that we have been called by Almighty God and that He has saved us not by 
our works, but by His own grace and grace and purpose in Christ Jesus before time began. So this plan that we're talking about was already in place before the world was made. God is the primitive cause of our salvation. As I said a minute ago, He is a being of love, mercy, and grace. Never would He have, never would he have taken the initiative to save us if He didn't love us, if He wasn't concerned about our well-being. Then there's a second thought I want to share with you. We talk about the primitive cause of salvation, but then in the second place, the sacrificial cause of salvation. The passage that was read a moment ago in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying in the shadow of the cross. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus understands that the weight of the cross is before Him. And so He lifts this prayer up to the Father. And he said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In verse 4, he said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus talked about this new covenant that would bring about the remission, the forgiveness of sins. And the fact that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb of Almighty God. Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Did Jesus understand the nature of His work while upon earth? Well, so, well, certainly He did. In John 17, verse 4, the passage we noted a moment ago, Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. The psalmist in the long ago, David pointed to the coming of the Christ and the fact that the Christ came, as the Hebrew writer points out, quoting Psalm 40, Jesus came to do the will of Almighty God. So in John chapter 6, we hear Jesus saying, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Well, what was that will? Do you remember what the angel said to Joseph? That Jesus would save His people from their sins. Travel back in time 2,000 years ago. Imagine yourself in the upper room with Jesus. And as the Passover feast is coming to a conclusion, Jesus institutes this new covenant or discusses this new covenant. And you're hearing the very Son of God talk about this new covenant that would be enacted by the shedding of His blood. Jesus came to die for our sins. Without the death of Jesus, we would be lost. In the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. 
Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ought to be mindful of the precious blood of Jesus, that sacrificial offering for sin, the fact that Jesus gave His life for us. You remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 said that Christ loved Him and that Paul said He gave Himself for Him. That's the one we're talking about. The sacrificial cause of salvation. Jesus, the Son of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus on one occasion, the Bible says, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The weight of sin rested upon the shoulders of the sinless head of the Son of God. So Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Him who knew no sin... He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so in Ephesians 1, 7, Paul said we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And not only have we we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but through our obedience to the gospel, we are blessed to be a part of the body of Christ, aren't we? Paul said in Ephesians 2, 16, we've been reconciled in the body of Christ. All of that made possible by the sacrificial Lamb of Almighty God. One thing we might note very quickly. God's redemptive plan not only included the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary, but also the establishment of the kingdom of God or church. In Ephesians 3, Paul says that when the world sees the church, it sees a manifestation of the wisdom and power of Almighty God. God purposed the church before time began. And so with regard to the sacrificial cause of our salvation, how blessed we are to be a part of the blood-bought body of Jesus. Now you think about some of the institutions that you might belong to on planet Earth. There are a lot of organizations and institutions that carry a lot of weight. But there is not a greater privilege known to man than being a member of the body of Christ, the blood-bought body of Christ. There's a third thing I want to share with you. First, we talk about the primitive cause of salvation. Secondly, the sacrificial cause of salvation. Thirdly, the revealing cause of salvation. How do we know something about God's eternal will for us? You know, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How then did we arrive at divine truth? Remember what Jesus said in John 17? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. In John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus is in a very intimate conversation with the apostles. In John 14 verse 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. In chapter 16, again, Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about revelation in this context. And so in, in John chapter 16, Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away. 
He said, because if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. When he comes, here's what he's going to do. Jesus said he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come. Of sin, he said, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you'll see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of His own, but rather whatever He hears, that He will speak and show you things to come. Now, understand, He's talking to the apostles here. And what He is saying is that the Holy Spirit would guide them in the process of revelation. You remember the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, how he talked about how he received revelation from God, took that revelation and wrote it down in words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. So the Holy Spirit has revealed the will of Almighty God. Today we have all things pertaining to life and godliness, don't we? Matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So when I pick up this book called the Bible, and I start reading through the Scriptures, what do I understand? Well, number one, I understand that because of sin I'm lost, that I need, that I need a Redeemer, a Savior. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The consequences of sin, death spiritual death. Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But then the flip side of that coin, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 talked about the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So when I pick up this book and start reading Scripture, number one, I understand that I have a problem called sin. God's answer to sin was Jesus. I can read about my status in the world, that I need a Redeemer, and that God is interested in me as a human being, as an invaluable soul before Him. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You want to talk about the love of God and the grace of God. There is no one who will ever love you more than God. There is not a person on earth that will ever be as interested in your soul as the Lord will. Again, Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The investment that God has made in you individually and me. The fact that He spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. What does that say about the primitive cause of salvation? What does it say about the sacrificial cause of salvation? God the Father, the architect of this plan of redemption. Jesus, the agent by which this plan was brought to reality. So on Calvary, 2,000 years ago, Jesus lifted up between two thieves on Golgotha. Remember what Jesus said? 
It is finished. The weight of God's redemptive plan rested upon the shoulders of the Son of God. So as we read through the Scriptures, we ought to come to an appreciation of the role of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the revealing cause of salvation. There is a fourth thing that I would share with you. And that is the instrumental cause of salvation. The means or instrument that God uses to reach the human family is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is God's power to salvation. Remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and revelation? That He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come? On Pentecost Day, when those people heard the gospel being presented in all of its fullness for the very first time, they knew something about Jesus, the Son of God, they were acquainted with His signs and miracles and wonders. They had put Him to death. And yet, Peter, in his proclamation of the gospel, says that death was not able to hold the Lord in the tomb. Raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, where He now wields all authority. And so Peter, in that proclamation, so let all the house of Israel know assuredly God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When Jesus bore that cross, you remember He fell beneath the weight of the cross and they compelled a man by the name of Simon to bear that cross? It wasn't His cross He was bearing, it was your cross and my cross. The Lord didn't have a cross. He bore our sins, listen to Him, he bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. So the presentation of the gospel of truth, on Pentecost Day, they heard the gospel. And the Bible says in verse 37 that they were pricked or cut to the heart. That's exactly what the Lord said that the Holy Spirit would do through the revealed will of God. They were cut to the heart. And so they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? The gospel not only has convicting power, but converting power. You remember what Peter said? He said, you need to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, you can read throughout the book of Acts. Every single case of conversion involves specific steps. Number one, you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. You can't be saved without coming to an understanding of the deity of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, except you believe that I am, He said, you'll die in your sins. I know there are a lot of good people in our world today, and they will acknowledge Jesus as a quote-unquote good man. Some would say that he was concerned about the social injustices of his day. That he was concerned about 
the plight of people. That He was willing to extend a hand to the downtrodden and the poor and those who were hurting and suffering. And that's true. But more than that, He was and is the divine Son of the living God, as Peter said. And so, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Listen. To come to an understanding that Jesus is the Word who became flesh. That He was willing to empty, him, that he was willing to empty himself, divest Himself of the glories that He had enjoyed with the Father from time eternal and come to this earth and die for the sins of the human family. So you got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. And then to repent, to change how you think. You can't continue to live in the world and live for God. Some folks try to have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. doesn't work that way. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either you're all in with the Lord or you're all out. So you've got to repent of your sins. Paul would say on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent and then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, to acknowledge Jesus as the very Son of God as the eunuch did in Acts 8 verse 37, and then to be baptized into Christ. Well, why are we baptized into Christ? I mean, what's so important about baptism? Peter said, it's for the remission of your sins. And by the way, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the phraseology there, for the remission of sins, is exactly what's recorded in Matthew 26, 28, when Jesus shed His blood, listen to Him, for the remission of sins. So when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy salvation, as Jesus said, Mark 16, 16. We have the remission of sins or the washing away of sins, Acts 22, 16. Furthermore, the Bible says we are placed in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Well, how many bodies, how many churches are authorized in Scripture? Here's what Jesus said, I'll build my church, Matthew 16, 18. Singular in nature. And Paul said there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Just one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So when you obey the gospel of Christ, and again we talk about the convicting power of the Word of God. God's Word has the ability to enlighten us, to help us to see where we stand in the presence of God, Right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. He said, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, God's Word is a critic. There's some folks that don't like to be criticized. I understand that. I don't necessarily like negative criticism. But the Word of God is intended to show us a complete picture of who we are in the eyes of God. So God's Word has convicting power, converting power, and consecrating power. The Word of God has the ability to save us and then to keep us saved. 
So in verse 42, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly, listen to him, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. So what about the instrumental cause of salvation? Well, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach and teach the gospel. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, what about the appropriating cause of salvation? Really, this goes back to Acts Acts chapter 2. In other words, how can I appropriate the benefits and the blessings of God's redemptive plan? Oh, I've got to have an obedient faith, don't I? When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, In verse 5 of chapter 1, he talked about the obedience of their faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter said that they had purified their souls through obedience of the truth through the Spirit. So when I submit my will to the ways of Almighty God, when I say, you know what? I'm willing to die to my old way of life and to live for God then there is a transformation process that occurs. So in John chapter 3, you remember Jesus talked about the new birth? And He said that those who are born of water and spirit enter the kingdom of God. So when I obey the gospel of Christ, what happens? I enter the kingdom of Almighty God and I become a recipient of all those blessings and favors that I read about in Scripture. Go back again to Ephesians 1 verse 3. Every spiritual blessing resides in one place. It's in Christ Jesus. So if I want to tap into those spiritual blessings, I've got to be in Christ, don't I? I've got to somehow appropriate those blessings. Well, how do I do that? By an obedient faith. So when I obey the gospel of Christ, number one, I enjoy pardon from sin. Not only... Am I pardoned from every sin, from all sin? And the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. I'll tell you what, one of the great blessings of being a child of God is to know that I do not have to walk around with the baggage from my past, the weight of sin. There are a lot of folks in the world today They will end their day in a drunken stupor because they can't live with their past. The answer to your past is the gospel. The answer to the sins of life, again, the gospel of Jesus. And you think about when you obey the gospel of Christ, that you appropriate the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Jesus. There is nothing in this world that can remove the stain of sin other than the blood of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins, listen to him, by his own blood. Where did Jesus shed his blood? Wasn't it on Calvary? In a minute, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we partake of the fruit of the vine, we're going to remember the blood that was shed For what purpose? For the washing away of our sins. So listen, it's not about who you were in the past. It's not about what you were in the past. It's about what you are today. And in Christ Jesus, what's in the past is in the past. 
Remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to him. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You want to have an opportunity. Let me just ask it like this. Don't you think there are a lot of people in the world today? If you could say, how'd you like to just start all over? You think that'd be appealing to people? There are some people that have made an absolute train wreck of their lives. I mean, there are people all over the world whose lives have been marred by mistake after mistake after mistake, marred by sinful living. And yet what Jesus is saying is, when you come to me, let me tell you what, you've got a new life ahead of you. Paul said we are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And it's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So I want to ask you today, have you appropriated the salvation that we read about in Scripture? You obeyed the gospel. If you haven't done that, would you consider doing that today? To become a child of the living God, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to enjoy all the riches that are found in Christ Jesus and in Him alone. I know there are a lot of people that struggle in this world. There are a lot of folks in our world today that, quite frankly, their lives aren't headed in the right direction. The key to living a successful life is to live a life in Christ. Look at Saul of Tarsus and the change that came about through his obedience to the gospel. That same change can be yours today. One other thing I would conclude with very quickly. What about the consummation of salvation. In other words, when everything is said and done, the dust settles. And I've lived the Christian life and I've done my best day in, day out. Well, what's in it for me? Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writing to Christians that were suffering, that were besieged by trial after trial? In verse 9 he said, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's Christianity all about? It's about living for God today so that you can live with God one day in heaven. So if you'll do what the Bible says to do, I promise you this, you won't be disappointed. Jesus said it like this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. God wants you to be in heaven with Him one day. Be a tragedy to leave this world without Christ in your life. So today, think about where you are. Understand that God's redemptive story is personal. This is not just a book for the masses of people. This book about salvation is personal. 
It is God's letter to you saying, in effect, I want you to become my child. I want you to enjoy my blessings. How could you say no to that? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, won't you do that today? If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be, could we pray with you and for you? God will forgive your sins. If you're a child of God and you're not what you ought to be, it's our privilege to pray for one another, and we'd be happy to pray for you so that you might enjoy the fellowship that we read about in Scripture. Won't you come as we stand and sing?